first, basically, the USFL was your first jo- uh, play-by-play job. Is that correct with the Generals? First, uh, yeah, first full-time team job, yeah. yeah and how, how did that come about initially? Well, what happened was I was uh, working at WOR Radio in New York, um, and the USFL, of course, was uh, at, in late 82 uh, going to be the next big thing. And uh, they had signed a big contract with uh, with ABC, and they signed a big contract with uh, ESPN, and uh, the generals were going to be the uh, were going to be the headline team in uh, uh, in the USFL. They were the New York team, although they were New Jersey, but they were still in the number one market. And uh, WOR, where I was uh, doing the morning sports for a program, Rambling with Gambling, which was the uh, number one, had been the number one radio show in New York for like 50 years. Um, <clears throat> I just happened to, I had replaced Don Crickey. Crickey had replaced a fellow named Stan Lomax. Stan Lomax uh, replaced a fellow named Ford Frick. So, I mean, so there had been a pretty good lineage of sports guys, and give you some idea of how big that radio station was. Um... And so they they went out full bore to get the uh, get the uh, negotiating rights, uh, and they got them. And uh, so I, I it was more right place, right time than anything else. And uh, voila! Suddenly I was uh, I was the voice of a football team that had never existed before. Uh, working with a <clears throat> with two other guys, we had we had one of the first uh, on field reporters. Uh, who was that? Bob Cassiola. Uh, would do, you know, he had a wireless mic down on the field, and in 1983, that was pretty revolutionary. You know, the NFL didn't allow it yet, and uh, there we had uh, Cassiola, who had been the football coach at Princeton, and uh, we had uh, <coughs> my color guy up there was a fellow named Sam DeLuca, who uh, had uh, broadcast and played for the Jets. So suddenly uh, we're on this fifty thousand watt radio station, and uh, and the generals became a big deal, and uh, and there we were. Now, did the, the uh, job for the general did that lead to the job you had with the Jets? Yeah. What happened was uh, the generals, obviously, like the rest of the USFL, went belly up. Uh, but I had been fortunate uh, in that uh, I'd won a couple of. Uh, Awards, AP, UP, I don't remember exactly what it was. It's in some, in some resume somewhere. Uh, won a couple of the best play-by-play awards, uh, which was pretty good for the first first year out. And uh, I'd, I'd done pretty well with it. And then uh, Steve Albert, who had been doing the Jets over at WABC, uh, was leaving. And uh, the folks at ABC inquired within, and, and it was tough for me to, to go. Uh, leaving WOR behind because that morning sports show was a pretty big deal. But uh, the generals were no longer in existence, and uh, so I, I left WOR, which had been the dominant AM station in town, and went over to uh, ABC to do the Jets, yeah. Yeah, you had the uh, the call for the 51-45 overtime game, as yeah. I believed. Yeah. <laughs> that was, yeah. some, that was that some was, game. That was the most amazing football game I know I've ever seen in person, 
And I can't imagine too many games that were more spectacular than that one. Yeah, believe it or not, I was in the parking lot because I thought after Walker fumbled the ball, the game was over. You know, being, oh, you were one of those. I, I, well, I'm a pessimistic Jet fan after all these years till this day. So. Uh, well, yeah, there were a lot of U-turns in the parking lot that day. Yeah, I remember. But getting back to the Generals, what was your initial thought of the uh, the quality of play when you first saw it? Actually, I thought it was pretty good. You know, what happened was... I mean, the USFL started out doing everything the right way. Uh, they brought in some uh, people from the NFL uh, who knew how to build teams. They also did it with some financial constraint and restraint. Um, and they got some, some headline quality players. Um, and, and so it wasn't too bad. The biggest problem was selling a lot of these guys that nobody had ever heard of. Uh, it's not so much selling, but uh, just, okay, these are the guys. Uh, you know, Tom McConaughey and Sam Bowers and people like that. Nobody ever heard of. Shit, nobody ever heard of Kent Hall, who was uh, the starting center for the... Uh, Buffalo Bills, yeah, sure. Uh, well, yeah. with the Generals. Yeah, yeah, went from the Generals to the Bills and guys like yeah. Bar- I mean, so Bart Oates, too, guys, yeah. Uh, who, you know, nobody had ever heard of in the USFL... You could suddenly say, hey, these guys can play. Uh, but play relative to whom? That was the big question. Uh, so it was, it was, again, more of an introduction to an audience of this new collection of players. Nobody had to introduce Herschel Walker to anybody. Uh, or um, Bobby Douglas, I think, was the, uh, the general's first quarterback. You know, he came from the NFL. Uh, or whomever around the league. Uh, Most of these guys were new, unknown, and to some degree untested. But uh, slowly but surely, there was some pretty good football being played. There was some real good football being played, and as I talked to Steve Earhart last week, and I mentioned to him, yeah, and I did the calculation for attendance, you know, assuming the the calculations were right. It was close to 10 million people over, over three years actually watch USFL games, and quite honestly, that's something when, when you could do something like that. Yeah, I, the thing was, and again, we were, we were the generals. We were the Yankees of the USFL. We had Herschel Walker. Um, and so because of that, we saw the biggest crowds wherever we went. Um, I think we averaged about 36,000, 37,000 fans a game at the Giants Stadium the first year, I think, something like that. Yeah, you were over 40,000. I remember a game in Jackson. Okay, yeah. whatever it was, it was, it was a pretty good crowd. I mean, when San Antonio played the Washington Federals or whatever, and they had eight or nine or 10,000, right. we never saw that. Um, I remember whatever. a game in Jacksonville, you had over 72,000 fans. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so there was legitimate interest. Um and, 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 you know, and, and as each year went on, the football got better. Um, you know, the sad thing was that uh, uh, they got greedy and thought they could go head-to-head a year earlier than they should have. In your estimation, do you think the USFL, if they would have, I know they, contra- they you know, contracted some of the teams, got smaller, if they would have got out of markets like L.A., uh, Oakland wasn't that strong, um, if they would have maybe had 10 teams, maybe gone to a 14-game schedule, do you think the league could have 
survived, especially with the expansion of cable, as we've seen, because, you know, quite honestly, you know, TV loves football, and it certainly sure. would have been a market for it. Yeah, uh, it, it, was, it was headed in the right direction. Um, I think if they had wanted to go to the fall, um, they should have waited until 87. Uh, that was the year of the strike. Uh, the NFL strike. Um, they should have waited another year. Uh, and then, with the threat of the strike, they would have had players who were panicking about whether or not to play in the NFL that may not have a season. They could have brought more guys over there that would have probably ended a strike and more than likely would have facilitated some kind of a merger. But, uh, but Trump, in his haste to make a big deal... Um, he, you know, he he at once elevated uh, the league from another expansion type league, uh, and and then basically uh, he expanded the balloon and contracted it uh, by by going head to head, and then the uh, the lawsuit, which turned out to be a disaster. Um, had they stayed as a as a springtime league, yeah, they probably would have succeeded, uh, but it would forever have been. Uh, a, a, a perceived as a second-tier league. And that, and that was the dilemma that uh, the owners faced. Years back, looking back now, do you blame Trump a lot for the push? Cause basically, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. No, uh, Donald Trump bought the generals as a real estate investment. Um, and that's basically what it was. Uh, by buying the generals, what he did, remember, in... in 84, I guess is when he bought it, uh, Donald Trump was a Donald, not the Donald. He was the boy builder. Uh, what he did by buying the generals was uh, buy the back page of the New York tabloids. And slowly but surely from the back page, he went to page six to the front page. So uh, Donald Trump's, uh, I, and I've always felt this, and, and, and I'm sure folks will uh, can disagree. Um, his 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 first foray as as a real public figure in New York wasn't so much um, the buildings, which eventually, obviously, became his his, his signature. But uh, his first foray foray was buying the generals and being on the back page and hiring um, uh, Walt Michaels and signing Doug Flutie. And all of that stuff, and, you know, Donald was on the sidelines, and Donald was in the broadcast booth, and Ivana was here, and Donald Jr. was there. Um, so, yeah, and so then he just, he thought, uh, for him, very little financial risk. Uh, let, let's go to the big time, let's force the NFL's hand, and they, and they swatted him away like a fly at a picnic. Yeah, basically, he was getting millions dollars worth of promotion for just owning the team. And, oh, absolutely! And, I mean, that was it. I mean, he 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 was on the back page all the time, um, and then he got on the page six, and then he got onto the front page. Then he was on the real estate. He was everywhere. So no, it, it, the the generals were, were were a terrific investment for him personally. Now, going back to what you said earlier, there's always a question of the quality of play. Then, after the league folded in 1986, there was a Monday night game, Cowboys versus the New York Giants. Cowboys had signed Herschel Walker 
Tony Dorsett was a starting back. Herschel was a backup. First game of the year. Dorsett goes down with an ankle injury, as I recall. Walker comes in, plays, and he knocks Harry Carson on his back. Right away, that first year, you saw USFL players start to make an impact on the league. And now, as you look back, you got guys like from the USFL, Steve Young, Jim Kelly, Reggie White, all Hall of Famers. Yeah, I mean, again, and Sean Landetto is a, a, a great punter until about 10 minutes ago, and he's, a, he's 103 years old. <laughs> um, and you had all the little Smurfs who ended up in Washington. Um, There's Gary Clark, too. Remember him? And, yeah, of course, I mean, Sam Mills uh, would never have gotten a chance to play. Yeah, there, I'm telling you, there were a lot of really good players in that league uh, who came out of college. I mean, yeah, there were some guys who went from the NFL to the USFL for big money. And, and they, didn't, they didn't fare too well, because if you look at guys like Brian Sipe and Cliff Stout and Joe Cribbs, right. they didn't fare Gary too well Barbaro. in the USFL. Gary Barbaro was a great Sure, Gary Barbaro, uh, Bob, Bob Leopold, I remember, too. Yeah, Bobby Leopold, very nice. Yeah, I mean, it, so it goes to show that just because you had a name, an NFL pedigree, didn't necessarily mean, hey, we had Maurice Carthon. As, as, <laughs> That's as, right, uh, and, and he helped lead the Giants to the Super Bowl. Yeah, who, who, was, who was Herschel's blocking back? Sure, absolutely. That's right. So, Sam, I mean, ba- there yeah. were a lot of really good players that, again, were unknown and to some degree untested on the big stage because they had never played in the NFL before. But, again, you look back, at the history, and I, I don't know how many players uh, played in the USFL and eventually went on to the NFL. But it was the, but the I, impact of the players, though. They yeah, just didn't sit around for point. a cup of coffee. Yeah, it's not so much the numbers, but uh, but a lot of players were really good. I remember I hosted uh, the uh, uh, the awards dinner before the big championship game uh, in 84, 85, whatever year it was, 83, I don't know. Uh, and Reggie White was the player of the year. Mm-hmm. Reggie fucking White was a player of the year <laughs> in the USFL. And um, and then, of course, went on to a great career and all of that. And, uh, uh, you know, and Jim Kelly. Uh, I mean, again, the, 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 na- the, na- the names are pretty impressive. Yeah. And, and when I bring up the USFL, too, I, I think you go back to 1986, Sports Illustrated had a cover. And on it was Jim Kelly wearing a New Jersey general uniform. Right. And I think to me, just that cover kind of gives the history of the USFL, this fun league, an exciting league. And it had so much promise, but it was never able to fulfill that promise. Right. That's the thing that's most frustrating. And I think if you talk to anybody, whether it was a player, a coach, a broadcaster, writer, front office personnel, trainer, whatever it was, they will tell you that that period of time, those three years, were about as much fun as any of us ever had um, because it was new. Um, it was it was reasonably well run those first couple of years, and certainly any time there's a new league, there are going to be mistakes. There was a uh, uh, almost a revolutionary spirit about them, about us, uh, that we could do whatever we wanted to do. I mean, again, we had Cassiola as a sideline reporter. That shit never happened. <laughs> <laughs> and the USFL was uh, was was willing to do that, and that's a, as a result of Chet Simmons being the commissioner. Um, and so, from a broadcasting point of view, we were able to do stuff that folks hadn't uh, done before. And again, and uh, that, that's twenty two, twenty three years ago. Um, you know, 
now, of course, there are sideline reporters everywhere. But when we did it, I don't believe there were sideline reporters anywhere. And how about the imprint that the USFL, besides the players, but just the instant replay, which has been a rage in the NFL for all these years, was really started in the USFL, along yeah, with the, the two-point conversion. I think the two-point conversion. Sure. You know, uh, all these things have really are still identified in the USFL, really. And yeah, and not only that... Unfortunately, unfortunately now, I, I don't know if they're identified. Well, it's still, it's still, it's still living, now. though. In other words, the NFL adopted what they had. And also test markets, like you go to Phoenix, you go to Jacksonville, you go to Tennessee. Sure. These were also test markets for pro sports teams that the yeah, NFL absolutely. eventually went into. And again, that, that was what made it so much fun. Um, and again, we were doing stuff that uh, uh, hadn't been done before. And so, again, there, there was this... This, uh, this roguish, uh, revolutionary spirit about all of us doing, doing what we did. And, and when, I'll tell you what, whenever I see, uh, whether, when you talk to Jim Mora, please say hi for me. I will, I'm talking to him Friday. Um, you know, whenever I see any of these old guys, old guys, I mean, <laughs> they're still younger than I am, <laughs> but the guys who played or worked in the league, um, it, 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 it's, it's, it's like an alumni club. I mean, we're all proud to have been part of it. It, it was really a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to talk to Bobby Bear actually, at 4.15. Right Bobby Hebert yeah, from the uh, Cajun Cannon. Panther. That's right. Now, when, when you look back at the league, um, do, 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 was, there, was there certain incidents, because I had read about certain teams that were struggling financially if players didn't know if they were going to get paid or not? I know that didn't exist with the general. Do you, have you heard about that at all with other teams? No, uh, you know, again, we were, we were really, um, it was a charmed existence. That uh, again, we were uh, first. We had this owner, this oil baron, J. Walter Duncan. Um, I'm not sure if he ever knew whether you sew up or blow up a football. Didn't matter. But Chuck Fairbanks was from uh, Oklahoma, and he wanted good old Chuck to be the coach. And, uh, and he bought the team, and I think sold the team. And I think J. Walter actually is one of the few guys that actually made money in the USFL uh, when he sold it to uh, to Trump. Uh, so we didn't see any of that, you know. We didn't. We didn't go to San Antonio right. to see the gunslingers or the Washington Federals or any of that stuff. Yeah, Craig, Craig James, team. you know, huh? Craig James was down there before. Yeah. We had. A, I mean, we had a we had, we had a pretty good team with a pretty good payroll, and as best as I could tell, they got paid pretty regularly. Talk to me about the uh, the relationship with ESPN. I, I know you went on to work there afterwards at ESPN, mm-hmm. but was was the USFL once you got there? Did you ta- share war stories with the ESPN executives and everything about the USFL? Oh, a little bit, I suppose. Um, again, more than anything, I, I, that's where I first got to meet uh, like Tom Mees and uh, who I would work with later, of course, and, and Bob Lee and Chris Berman. Robert Twybell, I remember doing some games too, as I recall, right? Who's that? Ro- uh, Roger Twybell was his name. I'm Roger trying to. Roger was there. Mm-hmm. Um, who else? Paul McGuire. Paul McGuire. That's right. He started there too. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, so there are a lot of guys there. Jim Simpson. Mm-hmm. Simpson and I became friends over the years as a result of that too. So yeah, I mean, so there, all of us who were there, we were onto something we thought had had a terrific potential because again what 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 the USFL was able to do was to uh, uh convince ABC and, and ESPN which at that time I, uh, were separate entities um to come aboard and uh, and, and buy into this league and uh, ABC had their big time announcers and ESPN had what passed for them big time announcers at that point in their careers 
And then, you know, there I was uh, schlepping along in, in, uh, uh, in New Jersey. And uh, I think, if memory serves, um, what the hell was the name of the team in Arizona? The, uh, uh, the, uh, the first the Wranglers and then the Outlaws when Doug Williams went over there. Yeah, the, uh, the, the Arizona team, I, I, if memory serves. George, George Allen had, was coaching well, that yeah, team. Well, yeah, but uh, um, oh, what the hell is his name? Ray Scott was their play-by-play announcer. No kidding. In Arizona, yeah. I remember being out there doing the game. I guess it was in '83. And again, I'm 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 new to the dance. Right. And, and there's Ray Scott in the next booth, and we're talking, you know, at halftime and before <laughs> the game. Thinking, Damn, this is the big time. <laughs> Let me ask you: Where were you when you kind of knew the league was going down? Did you hear trickles of news uh, that the lawsuit wasn't going well, or did you expect to play? Were you ready to do play-by-play uh, and go back at any time? I didn't like the smell of it um, because, again, I, I felt like uh, it was too early to go challenge the NFL, and I, I just—it just seemed to me this is going to be a lost cause. Um, and again, I think it was more of a, um, Trump being terribly brazen and basically leading uh, leading the charge. Um, you know, it was as if uh, he, had, he had the coalition of the willing in search of uh, the weapons of mass destruction. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, and, man, uh, that's, a, that's a good way to put it, because he really had the commissioner's ear. He had him hoodwink. You know. Again, he was hot. Donald Trump was hot. You yeah. know, hey, we got to believe in this kid, because he's, he's everywhere. He's, on every, he's in every section of the newspaper, for goodness sake. At, at what point do you think the, the NFL started taking the USFL seriously? I, talk, I talked to Gar, uh, Gil Baran a couple of weeks ago, and he mm-hmm. said right away, and the biggest concern was the USFL taking college players out early, that the NFL right. was actually considering moving up the rest from April to January to try to compete with the USFL as far as getting players. Yeah, I, I can't speak to that, but, but certainly when, <clears throat> when they were signing folks like uh, uh, Herschel, uh, Tim Spencer was a big running back, I think, out of Ohio State. Uh, they signed him. Now, all of a sudden, hey, they're getting some pretty good players here. Uh, so I think there was, uh, uh, I, I can't say desperation, certainly uh, concern almost from the get-go. And again, they've been unchallenged. So now, all of a sudden, their, their salary structure could be thrown to shit, and uh, they didn't want to have any you know, uh, uh, competition in that regard. Um, and, now, and then all of a sudden people are watching. Uh, then the other question was, okay, so this, it's spring and fall. They're not going to go. That's not going to impact us. But what it might have done was overly saturate the market for football. Mm-hmm. Um, and, again, the old World Football League was never any competition because they were in Shreveport and God knows where else. So that was never really a factor. This was the first legitimate and really the only legitimate challenge to their uh, – to their unquestioned authority on on the football uh, landscape, uh, you know, uh, on on the the football geography, you know, it was. And and you look back and and you you know the NFL, they recognized what the USFL was because they formed the NFL Europe and they put teams in Sacramento, I guess it was in the early 90s, because they didn't want another Rebel League really coming in and trying to do what the USFL did again, although the XFL tried, but they tried badly. I think it's fair to say that the the the, the USFL it was the first 
last and only legitimate challenge that the NFL has ever had and will ever have.